Hey guys, welcome to The Real Shit with Brit and Wit. This is Whitney. And this is Brittany. On today's show, we have a really special guest. One of Wit's friends is here with us. We are about to start an infertility series and we're going a little bit more serious here. Uh, Wit and I would love to disclaim right now that we are not even going to pretend like we know what we're talking about with this. And so we do want to pull in guests who have their own experiences um, with infertility in different areas. And so this is going to be a little bit of a different dynamic for us. We're going to sit back a little bit more and let people share their stories. And we had a lot of listeners write in and have questions that they wanted to know about um, dealing with different areas of infertility. And so we're going to talk with our guest today, um, who has a really unique story, we're going to have an episode on adoption and what that brings with infertility. And then we're going to talk about um, the situations where people don't have their own children, but maybe step into a role of a blended family. So wait, let's introduce our guest today. All right. We have one of my very best friends, uh, Candace is on the show with us today, and I am so excited for her to share her story and to talk about this. Uh, Candace has uh, struggled with infertility for the last 13 years. So, and she's been, she struggled with um, a first marriage with infertility, and then that ended in divorce, and then um, remarried and struggled with infertility in her second marriage. So, um, Candace, say hi, introduce yourself. Hello there. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome. Thanks for having me. This is um, a subject I am super passionate about, and um, I talk about it all the time. So hopefully this helps some people in their own journeys. I'm sure um, it will. <laughs> so I am in my late 30s. I grew up in Utah. Um, have never lived out of state. I uh, am an interior designer by trade. I work for a commercial furniture dealership. Um, I've been married for, I should know this, nine years, eight years. I think it's the same exact time. (laughs) I should know. Candace and I are both what you would consider war brides. Yeah. We got married. We got married like right before deployment. (laughs) Right before our husbands deployed. But it was a big year. So I always mix up the year we got married. I do too. The year they were deployed. So you got married. 2011. Yeah. I think so. It's been all. Almost eight, eight years. years. Yeah. Eight years. Um, we have three children together, um, twin three and a half year olds, and then my baby just turned two. So we are in toddler heaven right now. <laughs> That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot to take on. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, Candace, take us to the beginning of your story. So um, my story starts back when I was about 25 years old. Well, so I got, I got married at 22. Um, I knew I wanted a family my entire life. I knew I wanted to be a mom. And, um, but, I, you know, I had a college degree. I was, I was married. And I was just thinking, you know, mom was next step. Um, started trying to have kids about actively probably like two years into our marriage worked on it for about a year never had a pregnancy scare birth control always made me sick so I was on birth control for maybe like the first six months we were married um so I wouldn't say that we were actively trying but we were not using any sort of protection um because I got really bad migraines I've never dealt well with hormones in my system so um about three years into our marriage we 
started talking to my OB and he suggested um, I get on some sort of like some sort of drug to help with fertility. So um, we tried we tried that and nothing really worked, but there was no blood test. It was it was really in, in hindsight, I should have been asking more questions. I should have been doing a little more research on my own, but it was I was starting to get to the stage where I realized how traumatizing this was going to be. Um, and the only reason I say that is I felt like I just didn't have an advocate. Nobody in my family had dealt with fertility. I, we have no family history. And I was just like, well, what's wrong with us? So um, my sister-in-law had actually been trying to get pregnant for a little while too. And her husband, so my ex-husband's brother, um, he got, he had like what they call a varicocele vein, which is basically... I'm going to be very graphic. I'm going to be very direct. We love that. <laughs> so it's basically like a vein that drops down into the testicle and causes causes the testicle to stay warm and it kills the sperm. And um, basically it's like, a, it's like a hernia inside your testicle instead of like in your belly button or something. And so they, they have to like go seal that up and, and a lot of times it corrects itself once that surgery is done. So we kind of started looking into that. Um, all the while we were like, we probably need to go see like an RE or a reproductive endocrinologist. Um, so we got directed up to, um, the university of Utah reproductive, I don't know what they're called now, but it's university of Utah reproductive center. And, um, I really loved the team that we worked with there and, um, so can I ask Candace really yeah. fast? So how many years in was this? Did you say a couple of years? So three years into my marriage, a year into actively trying to get pregnant and, and all the while. So I, sh I should back up. I forget, like I get in deep in first, but we were using. So when you're very be beginning, like in the very beginning stages of trying to get pregnant, the things that the doctor will automatically recommend, take your basal body temperature, um, check your ovulation. So we were buying ovulation kit like crazy and they're expensive and then we were doing temperature and we were doing timed inter intercourse and we were we were tracking cycles and I've always had like a very regular cycle so that didn't make any sense um anyway so we we start meeting with this reproductive endocrinologist which is basically just like a fancy word for like a fertility a fertility doctor okay um so somebody that specializes in your reproductive endocrine system but before this were you did there like there was no already existing issue for you like this was the first time you were actively like trying to have kids and it just nothing was happening you know because some people you know, absolutely are, not like I had never like some people are diagnosed with like PCOS and yeah, so they know no. they're gonna have a struggle or okay no nope, okay. nothing no okay. family history um, my, so the only things they really asked me was, do I, do I ovulate? Do I have a regular cycle? Um, and then they would do exams and every, everything looked healthy. Everything was fine. Okay. Um, so about a year later, we are kind of in the throes of this journey, whatever you want to call it. They, they finally ran a blood test. So this is after, I, so I, I'd done Clomid, um, kind of high doses of Clomid, which is basically just like a pill you take to help you um, ovulate, which is not even just helping you ovulate. It's actually like mass producing your, your ovaries. Um, so you, so you develop a lot of follicles and in turn develop a lot of eggs and up your chances of conceiving naturally, which is 
I mean, just with regular intercourse without any additional um, intervention. So, but I did, because I don't deal well with additional hormones, I was a freaking basket case. (laughs) Like my my internal body temperature was so high. I remember um, standing in our freezer, like as far as I could get in just to cool down because I would have like, these incredibly intense hot flashes in the middle of the night I would go out in the middle of winter in Utah like so less than (laughs) freezing less than 20 degrees and lay on our driveway because I was just trying to like oh my gosh (laughs) so I was like it was like three in the morning I remember one incident it was three in the morning I was just in like boxer shorts and like a tank top and I could not cool down so I tried the freezer thing still couldn't (laughs) cool down so I go outside and I was just trying to get as much of my body in contact with something really cold just to try to like get my body temperature down. But it wasn't only that, like, so that was a physical reaction. I was crazy. I was just emotional. So I'm like totally the type of person that doesn't cry over things. I, I, I'm very like practical, very logical. I don't emotion. I, well, I'm emotional, but I don't like I don't cry in movies. I don't cry because somebody hurts my feelings. Like I don't, I get cry. I cry when I get mad. That's about it. What would that um, even be like? I don't know. <laughs> I cry I over everything. I was crying like if my boss approached me wrong or <sighs> I was crying because I couldn't figure out how to, how like, how my, some of my medications worked or I was crying because like the dog stepped on my foot or <laughs> like, it was just like drop of the hat tears. Yeah. It was just stupid. It was so stupid. And I, and the hardest thing that I was struggling with at that time is I was upset that I couldn't control my reactions. And so I felt like I'd always been in control of my reactions to other people. And I, I, I was not capable of doing that anymore. So that was something that I was really struggling with. So that was on Clomid. I swear to you, Clomid gets into your system and it like never leaves. So I, it's like I hit this level of crazy and never came back down for a really long time. So about, Two years into fertility treatments, so we'd done we'd done the Clomid thing, we'd done timed intercourse, we'd done ovulation kits. Um, this one doctor was like, "Have we ran this blood test?" And I'm telling you, it's the simplest blood test. It's the first thing that should be done. I don't know why it was overlooked, um, but basically, what it told me was that my levels were that of like my hormone levels were that of like a 50 year old woman. So menopausal or postmenopausal. So I might get some of my statistics wrong because it's been like 15 years or almost 15 years, but, um, my estrogen levels were super, super, super high. And my progesterone levels were super low. Um, and I don't exactly remember the numbers and I don't even know if I would be able to look them up at this point, but so that was kind of devastating. And at, at this point, do you, let me ask, do they yeah. tell you at that point, is there a really big threat or, 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 or is it kind of a thing where they're like, you know, we can do something about this? Like, how does it work at that point? At, at that point, there's still a lot of options. So they don't necessarily know everything. And, um, fertility treatments are one of those things. There are rapid changes all the time. So even in like a three year window, like I'm, I'm, I'm probably talking about major, like it's been so long that people aren't even experiencing this type of thing anymore because okay. it's been, it was like 13 years ago. So there's just so many changes 
that happen so fast, they get, they get really far in their research and advancements. And it's still considered um, experimental medical treatments. So I think that's why they're progressing so fast all the time. Okay. Um, so where so was at this I? point, you had the blood test. So I had the blood found test, about found the... out. I was like devastated. And at this point, I was getting used to the idea of sitting across the table from a doctor and getting bad news. And it was just, it was completely awful. Um, and unfortunately, I did not have the most supportive spouse. So my like one and only my partner... Um, person that should be in this with you through and through. Yeah. So tell us that really fast. Cause I think people will be interested on that. You know, Whit and I have talked, we've both been divorced. We've <laughs> talked about marriage. We talk about this on our podcast. So what, how was the support not there? I think people would have that question. Um, if you can talk about it. It was, yeah, for sure. It was almost like it was happening to me, not us. And there was a lot of pride and ego involved. Um, and I think there was a lot of fear from his side. I mean, there's obviously fear that I was like never going to be a mom. I, I had all these fears about like my future and our future and like, how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to afford alternate treatments? Like I had fears like all, but discussing that was like off the table. Um, discussing options was kind of off the table. And if it was, so, so one of the things that comes along with fertility is blame and you shouldn't blame anyone. It's nobody's fault. Um, you should just be supportive, but like, I, I would say the person that gets diagnosed feels like they're to blame and the person, and before you're diagnosed, both parties kind of don't want to be the person that's getting blamed. Does that make sense? So I think he was, because there was a little bit of a history on his side of the family, there was a little bit of like, I don't know if this is like my fault, which is not the right way to look at it because it's like, it takes two. And so, um, yeah, so he was, he was a little distant, a lot distant. And I think he was trying to like keep everything at arm's length because, um, he didn't want it to come back on him. Like it was like his genetics or. Yeah. And, and I think he was quite fearful of possibly having to use some sort of donor in place of like, I, I think males have a lot more of um, a desire to like sow their seeds and, and carry their name. And does that make sense? Yeah, like, it does. I would definitely, there's like some pride there where women I think are like, I just want to be a freaking mom. <laughs> Yeah, we'll take so, being a mom any way we can get it. Yeah. So anyway, so um but I was so deep in my own head and in my own world that I would say most of that is hindsight. Okay. I don't think I was really able to discern that that's what was going on in the moment. And we obviously had a, a lot of problems cuz we ended up in divorce anyway. So like that it, it just added. It was just yeah. like the cherry on top. So let me ask you this. What were your, okay. So we're a few years in, you have this blood test. We figure this out. Mm -hmm. Um, you get on Clomid. Clomid, And then I had the blood test after, which in my opinion, that should have been flip flopped for sure. 
for so sure. Sometimes you do the blood test. And so then where are we now? I kind of sidetracked so, you because I asked you that question. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, so now we're looking at options. Okay. So what is my body capable of? And what, um, what are our options? So the thing with um, assisted reproductive technology is there's a lot of options and there's a lot of levels within each option. So like the first one, you always, you always want to go like less obtrusive to your body and less cost. So start low. Okay. So an example would be what? So an example would be like, um, an IUI or interuterine insemination, okay. which would be basically take like a sperm sample and, um, use a catheter and get it in into the uterus in an ideal location. Okay. And so you can do an IUI with, with additional drugs to kind of help um, stimulate ovaries. You can do an IUI by like um, filtering out healthier sperm. So, so there's like, so the IUI is the basic, then you have like your levels okay. within it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's a lot. That's just IUIs. I know. That's, this is crazy. <laughs> so IUI is first. I wasn't even eligible for an IUI because my levels were so like off the charts. Okay. So next is IVF. So basic IVF is, is harvest. So you stimulate ovaries, harvest eggs. Okay. Sperm sample, fertilize eggs in a Petri dish, watch it for three to five days. I don't exactly know what the protocol is right now, but it was between three to five days when I was doing it. Yeah. So, and I, I think I've seen a couple of things change where maybe they're not doing five days anymore. or Maybe some, some clinics aren't, but three to five days, they kind of watch the embryos, make sure that they're, they're, um, multiplying properly. Like the cells are multiplying and then they take the healthiest ones and then put that in a catheter, put it back in the woman's body and just like cross your fingers. <laughs> okay. So with IVF, that's what it's called, right? Mm-hmm. So is this where a lot of the times if it does work, people have multiples or so IUI, no. you could have multiples oh. because you're, yep. Okay. And Clomid, you could have multiples oh, okay. and IVF, you could have multiples. There's actually, I think IVF is a better way to control it. So you would still oh. have a chance of multiples, but you would be lower um, lower quantity of multiples where okay. when you're just doing drugs, you don't have a lot of control over. Um, I mean, you're going in and getting monitored, you're getting your ovaries monitored and things like that, but you don't have a lot of control over how many follicles you, um, release. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely does. Where mm-hmm. like in vitro, you're actually fertilizing the eggs and so you're making the choice. So to like you're making one embryos in there or two and in then there. they're only taking healthy embryos. So they're looking at how, how, how many days have they been or how many like times have they multiplied? So they call them blastocysts at this stage, which is basically just like multiplied cells. So you have like two single cell organisms. They, you know, they marry up, they start multiplying and I, I am not a biologist, so. <laughs> no, I'm learning a lot from you, so. So usually, like, you're transferring, like, a 16-cell, I think, 16-cell embryo. It's been a while. Um, embryo to, to be considered healthy. And a lot of times they're, like, hatching blastocysts, which means. So once they start multiplying, it almost becomes, like, an exponential because it's multiplying so fast and all these, all these cells are multiplying multiple times by day five. Does that make sense? Like in the beginning, it's like just two cells and then four cells and then eight. 
Yeah. And then it, it exponentially starts to multiply. And that's... And so these are all the different levels of like your options. You start no, here, you No, this is just go... like basic IVF. So, okay. and then within IVF, you can, you can, um, you can do like PGS testing, which is you can, t- you can test to see if there's something genetically wrong. Like, so people with recurrent miscarriage would often get this done because a lot of times there's something wrong with embryo at the embryo level, not necessarily at like the infant level or a full term pregnancy level. You can do, you can still filter the sperm out and get healthier sperm. You can, you can still, you can have several levels of drugs or like treatments to help get your best egg quality that there's, or you can do all of them (laughs) and everything you add costs more money. Okay. Um, so what we ended up doing, so, so with my first husband, what we ended up doing was, um, I was not eligible to use my own eggs. So we had to go straight from can't from Clomid to can't do an IUI, can't do IVF. So now we're going to try IVF with donor eggs. Um, and so my sister, who is super generous and lovely, was not living in the city. She's living four hours away. She offered to, and and her husband had to be on board. And there's all this, like, there's all this stuff you have to do to have a known donor. Um, they, they have you go to therapy. They have you do, and that's a lot of coordination. You have to like sync cycles and, um, she has to abstain from sex for six weeks. So not just her, this affects, yeah. so this is affecting four parties at this point. Um, anyway, so she was traveling, you know, to Salt Lake where, where we live and doing all the tests and stuff. And we got about halfway through an IVF treatment and, um, her follicles were only at like six and they like a lot more than that to proceed further. So we basically had to stop stop treatments like mid cycle and it was devastating to her. Did did your sister does she have kids? Did she have yeah. kids of her own and so, she had not struggled with infertility? So no. it was a shock that she She uh, up until that point she'd gotten pregnant every time she tried. Okay. So like first time she tried, every time she tried, she got pregnant. Um so at that point she had three kids. So we thought it was great. She was older. She's older than me. She's five years older than me. So she was 31 at the time. And, and so wait, pause for a second. So this is your take. This would be, if this would work, her doing what for you? Giving in eggs. Eggs. Okay. Okay. So that would be I her. I make sure I'm always so, following. No, okay. that's fine. That would be her donating her eggs. Okay. Fertilizing it with my ex-husband's sperm. Okay. So technically we'd still be able to carry some of my genetic traits and some of my family's traits. And we'd be able to have children that would technically kind of marry up to what it would be like if I could use my own eggs. Okay. Gotcha. So that was the intention by having her do it. Um, But I mean, if you think about it, there's a lot of psychological things that would go along with that. Like, okay, are they going to look like her kids or is there going to be a any sort of weight carried throughout their lives, like you owe me something or what if we had a rift in the future, like me and her, or what if she felt like, I mean, she would never do this, but like we had to go through therapy to make sure everyone's on the same page. 
Um, like what if she wanted to try to tell me how to parent or, I mean, there, there's a lot of things that come into play when you, well, yeah. And then I think about raising the kid and do you tell the kid, do you not (laughs) tell that? Like, does someone let it accidentally slip out, you know, when something happens? Yeah. That's a, that's a lot to take on. So I think that, yeah. Yeah. And we can talk about that later because we had to, we, we had to go through some of those types of conversations with. But so then in the end, she didn't have enough follicles. Was that so what she didn't have enough follicles. So follicles are basically your little like uh, ovary tentacle things that hold the eggs and then your eggs release. So you want really healthy follicles to kind of get big and happy. And then what you end up doing is what's called a trigger shot. Um, so so they're, they're the, week, the week of retrieval, egg retrieval, um, you're getting ultrasounds every single day at the doctor's office and they're checking your ovaries to make sure you're not getting too stimulated, um, to kind of like check to make sure when they want to do a trigger. And once, once it looks ideal, they'll do a trigger shot and that will basically force your body to like release those eggs. So it's, it's, you're basically inter- injecting hormones that would naturally occur in most people to release eggs. Okay. And, um, and then you'd go in the next day and you know, there's like, I don't know if any of you remember your biology class where people would, or where they would show, you know, here's your eggs and then it it will travel down the fallopian tube and then it will implant in your uterus. And so it's like, you're catching those eggs, like right as they're released. I just always started getting nauseous in the biology class. (laughs) I don't even know. No, I don't even know how I have children to be honest. Like I start listening to things and I just get squeamish and I pass out. (laughs) Sorry. No, no, I'm just kidding. No, but really like, you're like, I don't know if you remember biology class and I'm like, nope, I was just passed out for all of it. Yeah. Anyway. So, okay. So not, so not enough follicles. So then you had to stop that yeah, process. And, and I always like to use, um, the equation of like pretty much every step of the way you're going to lose about 50%. I think the ratios are a little higher these days, but so if we only get six follicles, we, we might get like six eggs or like nine eggs or something. Once you fertilize them, cut it in half. So like best case scenario, we'd have four and four to five eggs fertilized. So once they fertilize, how many of them are going to turn into healthy blastocysts by day three or day five or whatever? Um, so cut that in half again. So you're down to like two, two and a half. And then, then you implant them and you cut it in half again. Okay. 50% of them might work. So like that's less than one egg. Okay. So that's why they're saying there's, so they're like, there's not enough. So we need to stop. It's not worth your money. It's not worth your time. But all the money that we put up until that point was already spent. Yeah. So So that's all your medications. That's all your, where do you go from here then? So, um, that's when we decided to use a donor. Okay. So we went with an anonymous donor at that time at the U um, the donor coordinator kind of selected, we kind of put a, a few parameters into our wish list and she basically selected one for us. That's interesting. Is it's that way interesting? So now that I've had a different experience, I totally have a different perception on it. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting to go. Like we want someone that maybe has brown hair or someone that has like, is that what you're, or is it like, we want someone with an education or like, what are the parameters? So we put this? a few, we want someone that has <laughs> teeth. Like we I put a few <laughs> parameters in. So like one of the things that we put in is I've always been like a little smaller in stature. Um, I've always had brown hair. So like I think we we said this is what our desires are. Um, 
education has always been important to me. So we, but that doesn't mean you're always getting it. So now that I've done it a different way, I would definitely be asking more questions than I did the first time. I was like pretty young and pretty naive and kind of like wrapped up in myself and how I was feeling about everything. And I don't think I was making educated decisions or processing everything that was I was yeah, that's interesting. deciding on, if that makes sense. Like, Can I ask this question? Yeah. Do you feel like you get to points like what, how you're saying it wasn't probably an educated decision and things. Are you saying it more like your, your mindset is just, I want a baby and I'll do anything to get it. Like, is that a real, is that the reality of the mindset sometimes where it's just like, I will do anything. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, and what it, I'm it asking? consumes your entire life. So I, during this stage of my life, I don't remember anything else that was going on. It's like every waking moment, this is what I was thinking about. I was not sleeping. I was, and what's interesting is I wasn't doing research, <laughs> which that ended up being one of my coping mechanisms, like further down the road and why I wasn't doing research. I don't know because I should have been doing research, but I, I couldn't even process it. Like, I think I just wasn't emotionally mature enough to be going through something like that. And I didn't have a support system. Um, when we told our families, um, some of the responses I got were not awesome. <laughs> and like so I with got the donor, your family wasn't not even about the donor, it. just about having fertility issues in general. So when okay. we start, when we told them initially, um, I got questioned a lot. I got kind of accused about not having the right diagnosis or not getting a second opinion. I was told I better save money. Like that was the first initial response out of the gate. That was not. Oh my gosh. That's helpful. It was, it, it, was, it was worse than that. That was a tempered. Oh, man. <laughs> that was a tempered version. When you're but, already emotional and so, going through something And I was so just hard. like, oh, really? Something that you can have just. Well, and, th and that's the other thing that's that's hard about this is almost everyone grows up thinking it's like a God-given right to be a parent. And so when you feel like, you don't feel like all of a sudden you found this out, it was more of like, it was stripped of you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that was really hard for me, especially when people were like, are you sure well, have you tried this? I just like really wanted to like throw a punch most people. Yeah. Well, one of the questions that comes to my mind is, yes, I have children. I haven't had infertility issues. Okay. But I have been through miscarriages. Mm -hmm. And uh, even when you miscarriage and one was a, a little bit farther along, uh, I, I would have the feelings, even though I did have children at this point so far, I would have feelings towards people that were pregnant. I mean, it's almost like a natural reaction where you get like, Oh, good for you. You're still having your baby or, mm -hmm. you know, you, you have those natural feelings. So going through fertility treatments, do you honestly, like, let's get to the raw, real emotions of it. Do you have emotions where you're really just kind of angered towards? Yeah. I pretty you know, much hated everyone. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like, we can chuckle about that. <laughs> I no. was, we not can, in a good place. We like, can chuckle about that, but that's why I asked that question because this is about the real shit on this podcast. Yeah. And that's the stuff people don't talk about. Those feelings where you really do look around like good for you. You know what I mean? And, and you just feel like that anger towards everybody getting 
their thing yeah and and i i had written some of these things down but so i got i received a lot of comments in the very beginning that to this day would still trigger me like i still i still get triggered and i have three beautiful healthy children and i still get triggered by by some things and mostly mostly out of protection for people that i love because i've heard I've heard comments made towards other people, even as even something as simple as when are you going to have kids can trigger you or what's going on. I just sometimes I just was like, um, first of all, that's that's not even that that's definitely a personal question. You cross you cross the line by asking. You don't even know you crossed the line. And then you continue to ask, well, have you tried this or have you tried this? Or my, my cousin's best friend's sister, blah, 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 did, did this. And it's like, well, that's not even relevant because like, you don't know anything about my history. You don't know anything about my diagnosis. You don't know anything about my relationship. You don't, yeah. you don't know anything about anything. Um, so I was feeling, um, like I lost control of everything. And so I, I couldn't, I couldn't react to people, um, the way I wanted to react, I was, I was very knee jerk reaction. I remember at this stage I would flip out and I would literally on a dime apologize for acting like a psycho. And that was just like day to day. I I couldn't even like, I mean, I'm talking, I'm not talking with just my husband. It was with my family, with my boss, with coworkers, with clients. Like it was bad. So, um, and it was just completely like overreactive. And it was just because I wasn't managed. I was, I just wasn't managing my emotions about the whole thing. I didn't, I wasn't armed with good responses. Well, there's no handbook on this either. I mean, no. there's no, nobody gives you a handbook of like, here's how you should be acting when you're going through a really shitty, devastating time and nothing's working out for you. Like there's no handbook yeah. to life like that, you know? And, and my family, I grew up in a family that didn't talk about things when I would bring it up literally the subject would change about something that's completely irrelevant. And this is something that's super heartbreaking and super close, close to me. And something that like, I'm literally like living in my head every single day, every single second. And pretty much uh, I was on the verge of tears anytime I walked into a room and I had to deal with people. I like, I I feel like some of my social anxiety kind of came out of, not that I have like major social anxiety, but I do feel it pop up every once in a while now, but I don't think I ever had that before until I started going through this. And so, and then there would be people that love, that loved me. And I I say that in air quotations because they're, they're, they're family members of my previous life. Um, and so I felt like their loyalties were still to my ex, but I would get cornered and, and I would get cornered like in a room where I couldn't get out and I would get grilled about where we were at and like things that, things that were not only personal, but like in intimate. And I never grew up talking about that stuff. And so I've learned, I've learned a lot since then. I've taught, I talk about everything now, but I wasn't talking about it then. And so it was, it was not a great time in my life. Just the roller coaster that you would go through. So let's get back. Okay. So on, let's go back on the track. So then a donor. So the, did so that we, end up not? So we used an egg donor, went through the entire cycle. Everything looked really good. We retrieved 26 eggs. Um, I think 14 fertilized. So right on track for our 50% ish. And um, by the time we got to day three, we had three embryos, but only one was good quality. 
or by the time we got to our transfer day, I think I can't remember if it was day three or day five. So this was right around Christmas time. Um, my grandfather, I'm just bringing this up because I was going through a lot. So my grandfather just passed away who I was really close to. My husband's grandfather had just passed away who he was really close to. It was the holidays. So like we started our transfer on December 16th. Um, it's usually about a month long thing. We got results on December 26th. So you have like about a two week wait. And then we got negative results. So we had to go in on a Sunday to get results. They do like a blood test. Nothing, nothing was there. And we had transferred two embryos. So we had one left that we froze. And um, that was really poor quality. It was not good quality. And I was just, I mean, we went in on a Sunday, but we got a call with the results. We went in to get blood tests and then we got a call later with the results. And at, at this point in my life, I was, if I was home, I was in bed. Um, so I, I really started dealing with like a lot of depression. When I say dealing, I wasn't dealing with it. <laughs> I was just living I it. I was depressed. <laughs> yeah. So like I, I was living in bed. I had yeah. basically like gone down to, I was eating like one thing. Like I wasn't even being creative with like what I was putting into my body. I was just like, if I was home, I was in bed. I was barely making it to work. I wasn't putting on makeup. I could care less what people thought about me at this point. So we, I'm laying in bed, just watching TV. And um, I get the phone call and I call my then husband in and say it didn't work. And I, I was just devastated. Um, I was hysterical. I couldn't even get like words out. Um, sorry, it's like bringing up, it's like a lot of history that I haven't dealt with in a long time, but I was devastated and this will allude to the state of our marriage. His response was like, now is not the time to cry. Oh my God. It was awful. So, yeah, um, you talked about not having support and yeah. that, that should have been your main support. So and you're not even supposed to cry. Pretty over much it. all I needed was I'm sorry. I know this is hard. Like he, he knew it's harder for me than it was had been on him. He knew and um, granted he was probably going through his own shit and I was not even present enough to know that. And so I mean that's on me. Well, it takes two, but that's a that's a big thing to put on yeah. a couple. Yeah, yeah. And then it's, if you don't big. feel like there was support from the beginning, that's really tough. So um, needless to say, we got into a really big fight. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> and um, we pretty much stopped talking. And I don't even know how long that went on. So my parents were generous enough and they, they had helped um, financially support some of the in vitro decisions. My sister had offered eggs. I was, I was livid, um, with him because I'm just like, we're putting all of this out there. And I felt like he didn't even care. Um, so yeah, we, I call my parents and let them know it didn't work. Everyone's really sad. And I just thought like we were not making very much money. And so I'm like, this is like, that was our chance. Like, this is not going to be happening um I got some comments in the next couple of weeks like you wouldn't you wouldn't like being pregnant anyway Ugh. which honestly is true 
but don't say that to somebody that's never experienced it. Well, and to someone that desperately wants it. Yeah. Well, and I'm like, well, that's my, it's still my right and my prerogative to at least have the experience. So, um, so we kind of stopped talking and I, I spiraled way deeper than I was. So I, um, just trying to think of what I like I honestly it's like a black hole those like the next couple of weeks so I started doing I finally started to feel a little bit okay about researching alternate options so I started looking into adoption and um like two weeks after this happened we were in bed and like literally we we weren't talking like we were talking about logistics or that was it. Like we weren't like talking, we weren't talking about what happened. We weren't talking about anything. Yeah. There wasn't really a relationship there. No, no. it's like parallel lives. And in hindsight, it's like, well, duh. Of course that didn't work out. Yeah. Um, but you know, so you're laying in bed and laying in bed and I'm like, I think we should start exploring these options. And, um, but I was getting more, a little more disheartened because adoption costs a lot of money too. And, it feels really invasive and um, he already wasn't a great support and I wasn't sure if I could like go down the road and be and put like positive feelings out there because like you're basically selling yourself when you adopt, you know, and you you have to. And I, I just didn't think I was in the right place to be doing that, first of all. And I at this point, I don't think I thought I was with the right person to be doing that. Yeah. Um, not that I was admitting it at that time, but, um, anyway, so he didn't even respond. He just went to bed, which, I mean, you guys can imagine how I reacted. So I just like <laughs> rolled over and like cried the rest of the night. That sounds like a normal <laughs> reaction. Like that is exactly what I would have done. I'll just cry about it over here in my corner. So, That's you guys. You want to know what I would have done? Well, <laughs> I was. would have had an epic fight. I, I, was, I was not in fighting mode because I'm a fighter. So I was not in fighting mode. So the next day I'm like driving to work and um, I call him and I'm at work and I'm like, I just think I'm like, I think we need to reconnect. Let's get on the same page. So this is what my. So I'm like, we, I had a 30 minute drive. And so I'm on the phone. I'm like, tonight let's get together let's like bring he always did our bills at work and so I'm like bring all our finances down home like we need to start like making consistent time for each other and going down family planning and financial stuff together and he asked for a divorce (laughs) when I said that like over the phone yeah (laughs) well he didn't ask I had to get out of him but yeah so um that's a huge bombshell right after everything. Yeah. When you're so, trying to like fix the relationship and he's just done. Yeah. Were you surprised? Can I ask? Coming oh, from people that were divorced. Yeah. Shocked. Really? I mean, not that we were in a great place, but. Just shocked that he would actually be is at like that point. 20 grand. We went through therapy. We went not therapy to improve our marriage but therapy to make sure we were all okay with going down the path we were going down it was required by our clinic and it's like you didn't think anywhere along the last three years would have been an appropriate time to bring this up that's what I was gonna say like he really never yeah did you say that to him in the Uh, end of the day like yeah I mean that obviously is a conversation and what was his excuse of like he just didn't think, yeah, I mean, this is this is probably like a whole nother tangent, but yeah, he just didn't think that we had 
anything in common and we weren't on the same page anymore and we didn't want the same things. And hindsight, you know, I still go back to attribute that like I was approaching adoption. He had, he had some pride about having his own children and carrying, you know, his name and, and his genetics on. And I, I think that scared the shit out of him. So girl, really? Like I'm looking at you across this counter. Like I cannot even imagine because going through a divorce regardless is shitty, right? Even if you know it's not the right person because we've both been there, but going through a divorce and then also going through the emotional toll you just went through for how many years? Like where were you after? Let's fast forward like you guys go through. I mean, yeah, right? (laughs) Way, way worse. So it was like definitely the darkest time of my life. I never would wish that upon anybody. I would never... um, and all of it, all of it felt like it was kind of launched through the fertility stuff. So I was, I, I'm, I am still very triggered by fertility um, issues and treatments and um, the emotions that accompany all those things. Um, and I'm sure my husband now would would be able to verify that because. I, I have these weird like underlying fears and um, reactions to things that are just not there. They're like totally just in my head. Oh, I know something about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. It's called so, PTSD. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. So I thing. ended up, um, anyway, fast forward, got divorced. It was good. It was good for all of us. Yeah. Um, so how many years in between your divorce and then meeting your husband now? So I've known my husband since we were like 17. Okay. So he's so like you, a longtime family friend. Okay. Um, but I went through a series of, you know, like date, uh, like a while of dating. And then I just decided, screw this. I don't really care. I'm just going to be single and focus on myself. And that's when Scott and I got together. Okay. Now, how does going into that, where well, does the fertility so come in? In that there? window where I was single, there was about five years four years, um, I explored getting a hysterectomy because I wanted to take back control. Okay. I explored, I started to worry about, I had read all these articles. So I started doing a lot more research. I started, I wanted to be a little more in control. I knew if I got married again, I knew I still wanted to be a mom, but I wanted to understand what all my options were, what all my, all the different paths were, how I could get there, how I could communicate this with whoever I decided to have, have as a partner. I wanted to be able to make educated decisions. Um, and I, and I was in a place where it wasn't necessarily like right being served in front of me where I wasn't having to make that decision. Cause I wasn't going to, I don't think I was ever going to do it by myself. So it, it was a good window of time of like growth and self-reflection and trying to like navigate through my own, through my own life. Um, and make kind of make decisions based on what I wanted, not necessarily having the impact of somebody else's feelings about it, which sounds selfish, but clearly I wasn't capable of handling it at that point. Mm -hmm. So I went through the idea of like having a hysterectomy and like, um, then I would only have one option, right? I would have to adopt or I'd have to do foster care. Yeah, you um, wouldn't even have to think about any other option. Yeah, and then I was doing research. I'm like, well, I found out that if you have tons of estrogen in your system, you have a higher chance of like ovarian cancer and a higher chance of breast cancer. And so then I started going back to my same doctor that I really liked and asked him if I needed to be doing something to manage that. So I was doing a little bit of work on myself, um, 
physically as well as emotionally in that window. Two weeks after my current husband and I started dating, I knew I needed to talk to him about, I knew he wanted to be a dad. And so we dove in to a serious conversation very, very quickly. Um, and I was really anxious about bringing it up, but I'm like, just so you know, I can't have kids. If you want to have kids, if you want to go down this road with me, if you want to get serious, um, you just need to know we're not taking a traditional path of just like having sex and be like, Oh, here's a baby. So, and he was completely positive and receptive to that. So, but I, I was, I had a lot of angst about it and of course, and (laughs) And it's interesting because I think it fast forwarded our relationship a lot, but we also knew each other. So then like nine months later we got married and he deployed for a year. So I still had some time to like navigate through my own crap. And, um, he wanted to do IVF right when, right when he got back and I was like, not on board, 100% not on board. Um, I was still really triggered by it. I didn't want to do it. I was like, this can ruin marriages. This can ruin your financial, um, any financial status that you're currently in. Like it, it can be damaging on every, every level possible, physical, emotional, financial relationship, everything. So as long as you're willing to put that on the table, we can do it. And he was (laughs) like, what? And I'm like, I'm just being real. It's, that's just what it is. It is what it is. Like it's freaking hard. And so you need to just be on board. So we started exploring. We have this really great um, couple that I I went to high school with, um, the girl, and they had adopted. And so they hosted us at a couple of different adoption panels. So um, we got to explore adoption, and that never felt right. But it was, I thought it was really great. And and she kind of taught me about a few things about like language that you use around adoption, and and. Um, That was pretty impactful to me and impactful to my decision. I started going to therapy a lot. I was researching um, therapists that focused on fertility treatments um, that, that could help me and try to accept like what, because I think I always knew I was going to do in vitro again. I just didn't, I just didn't want to. (laughs) And so Ultimately, we made the decision I was not quite ready, but I was just like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be ready. And so we're like, I'm like, let's just dive in. Um, But during my in vitro process with my current husband, I was in group therapy and I was in individual therapy. And then Scott had come to a couple of sessions of kind of, I guess it was couples therapy, um, just to kind of help navigate some of those emotions. And I also... That time we didn't tell anyone. Um, the therapist suggested that we pick a couple of allies that we both have pretty good relationships with. So we, we told my sister and her husband, and we told one of our really good friends and her boyfriend. And that way we could at least have an outlet. So if one of us started to go like ape shit, which it probably would have been me, <laughs> we had allies outside of our marriage that we could at least vent to. And, and I feel like setting up that support system made this more successful this time. Okay. So you did, so then you decided to do IVF. So we did IVF. We used, we used a donor again. We used an anonymous donor. This time we got to, we went with a different clinic. We got to shop for our donor. It was really bizarre. (sighs) So I was looking for, you know, education and, um, 
things common interests and my husband was looking for looks <laughs> <laughs> well then you got the best of both one on each and end then ultimately for- we couldn't decide because all these women are so generous and we we just felt like like really could we make a bad decision um because i was just grateful to have somebody to have like to help us have a baby so we finally went in and talked to the donor coordinator and said we've narrowed it down to five <laughs> but we don't know how we they just wanted us to grade them a and b and then based on schedules and timelines and stuff like we would they would pick a or b um but ultimately our goal was we wanted success um so when we went in and talked to her we narrowed down our five to two based on success rates past success rates so this time, this donor, we had a very high success rate. So this donor produced six, 56 eggs. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And we fertilized 49. So remember wow. the statistics from the first time. So we fertilized 49. We had 15 high-quality eggs wow. by the day of transfer. That's amazing. So we transferred two and we got twins. <laughs> so, and then we still have 13 frozen. Um, yeah, so that's that was a more condensed, but honestly, it was way more condensed emotionally. It was way more condensed. Everything along my timeline, like my fertility, every, everything, the way I did it with my second husband, my current husband, was so much faster, and so, so much this easier. is how you have your twins right now. Yep, they're three and a half. Okay. And the difference, a huge difference too, is you had an actual supportive husband. Yeah. Right? Like um, somebody that loved me unconditionally. Yes. Which Weird. I, is huge. <laughs> Weird. What's up? Um, okay. So twins right now. And then you also have a very interesting twist to your story. Left yeah. Here. So like I said, so now I'm 30. I was 35 when I. Wait, I have to ask this question. Okay. Cause this is going to be on people's mind. Is this now you're pregnant? Okay, this works. You, we, we've got to stop and take a moment of, we can't even just be like, okay, yeah, you have twins. No, girl, like what is your emotional state, right? When this takes and you find out you're having twins. So that is actually an interesting part of the story because it was not exciting. <laughs> well, because you would be anxious. No, I actually No, I was like or... hyper stressed okay. and I was really sick. I, um, so basically what you do when you do in vitro is, is you, you know, you harvest the eggs, you fertilize the, you fertilize the eggs, you wait your five days, you do your transfer. And then you have like two princess days, which basically means you do nothing. Like the doctors even tell you, like your husband's needs to get up and get drinks for you. Find movies, find books, whatever you do, you take it easy. You take care of yourself emotionally. You take care of yourself. And this is called princess days? Princess days. Yeah. It's like a term used in this community. So, um, you have your two princess days. I was like, I don't even sit still for two days. And so I was like, what am I going to do? Yeah, Candace <laughs> is definitely a go bot. Like she's always got something on her schedule, always something planned. She's always on the go. So I took one princess day <laughs> and I, but I, and I worked from home and it, it was great, but you have to remember we hadn't told anybody. So it was tricky to like get work off. It was tricky. Yeah, but to, you can't go to your boss and be like, um, I need to well, take, like, I have to take a few princess days. All of these, all of these appointments, like there's a lot of appointments and stuff that lead up to this. So like, I was like, 
I got a client meeting. I got to go to like, I was like making stuff up <laughs> because I mean, it was private and I didn't want to feel um, invaded or that's not the really the right word, but um, I didn't want to. Well, I think it was totally fine just to keep it. You didn't want it. You just wanted to keep it to yourselves. It wasn't yeah, I felt ready like to share. It was, a, it was a defense mechanism for sure. So I have so more two just princess days and then there's a two week wait before you get results. And I never even wanted to take a pregnancy test. And up until this point in my life, I had never taken, I'd taken a two home pregnancy tests, but only because I was like pissed at the world. And I was just like, I'm never, I'm not going to go through my entire life without taking these. And it wasn't because I thought I was pregnant. It was because I was just like, I'm doing this stupid thing. <laughs> Trying this out. We're peeing on the so when I'm going through the two week wait, a lot of people will like take home pregnancy tests and they, they'll come back negative because you, you can't get results that fast. Yeah. Um, so they don't recommend that you do that. But I wait, I just waited for blood results and we got really good beta tests, which is like, it's just your numbers. I can't remember what my numbers were. They were not really high. So for some reason, I associated the, the amount by like, oh, could have both of them taken? Would it be twins? I think it was like 700 and something. I can't remember. I can't remember. Um, but I called my husband. I'm like, I got results. Sounds like it's positive. Don't get your hopes up. I mean, like, this is how I have every conversation. Don't get your yeah, hopes well, up. You've got walls up yeah. and you're just used to getting that bad news. And, and my husband is the most positive person. So he was like super stoked. <laughs> and I was just like, don't get your hopes up. Like you're we're not. Like, and he wanted to like shout it from rooftops. And I was just like, we're not talking about this no. still. <laughs> so still off the table. Still off the table. This is not Black a conversation. Um, so then like a, a few weeks later, I start bleeding a lot. And I, my, I remember my nephew was staying with us for like a sleepover and I start cramping and it was excruciating pain. I couldn't move. I was bleeding. Like it was like a lot of blood. And so I, of course, automatically, I never experienced a miscarriage. So I was like, I'm for sure having a miscarriage. Um, and I, I, I freaked out. So I call my sister. Luckily it was her child that was with us that, and she knew what was going on in our lives. And so I call her and I'm like, we got to go to the hospital. Like we're not, we have to go to the hospital and figure out what's going on. Um, so she meets us at the hospital, picks up her kid and we're trying to keep it away from him. Like his innocent self, like he doesn't need to know what's going on. We actually went to the IVF clinic, not to the hospital. And I'm just waiting. We, so she does like a transvaginal ultrasound, which is basically like a giant, dildo <laughs> I don't know another and they put a condom on it and everything so it's like it's basically an internal ultrasound I don't know how many of you guys have experienced that but and I'm just waiting for them to say there's like no heartbeats because at this point we hadn't seen any heartbeats we hadn't heard anything we just knew we had a positive pregnancy yeah. and I'm sitting there and there's like two sacks on the screen so that so I'm bleeding I'm in excruciating pain in an uncomfortable position and that's how I find out I'm having twins. So I automatically think I'm miscarrying too, but two strong heartbeats, especially for like six weeks or six and a half weeks. Wow. And they sent, then they send us over to the hospital to the radiology department cause they want to get more numbers. And, um, anyway, so that's how I found out I had twins and it was not joyful. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've been robbed of like the joy of becoming a parent. 
The joy of pregnancy or the joy of like finding out or all of it. Just the no joy. Yeah. (laughs) Not that I wasn't like joyful or grateful, but it was just straight paranoia. That's a real thing though. And I think you would have people out there. It's not even an insensitive thing or for people that, you know, oh, you should be grateful, right? Like, no, it that's, that's real. It really is because what you go through and all of that anxiety and the paranoia and the PTSD, it's like, that is so real to you that it would be a very stressful thing. It's like, yes, you're happy but it's like you're almost just waiting for something you're waiting bad for to the happen. ball to drop yep. yep so i was pretty much waiting for the ball to drop i end up with like a four centimeter um subchorionic hemorrhage which is basically the which happens a lot of times in multiples it's basically the placenta pulling away from the wall a little bit yeah. um so i was high risk right from the beginning had to go on pelvic rest which means no sex yeah um and then i was sick as a dog so i it was and, and I, so I was on pelvic rest until 20, 22 weeks. And, and I just looked at my pregnancy, like I had very short term goals. I'm like, just get to 12 weeks, just get to 16 weeks, just get to 18 weeks. And then I was like, just get to viability. Mm-hmm. And once I was to viability, I was like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is going to get so easy. It's going to be like, cause then I know somebody will try to save them if they're born early and and you're already at higher like a higher risk and honestly I'd never been pregnant so I didn't know if my body could hold a pregnancy and so it was just I was I was really lucky though I was sick and I was high risk but I carry those babies straight to term so and then they were born and it was and it was awesome and and I was so happy to have them out of me because I really didn't enjoy pregnancy. Yeah. Well, I think to know, especially when you've gone through so much infertility and so many years of struggle and heartache and, you know, to have those babies there in your arms, you know, that has got to be, but then, but then as a mother too, it like releases this whole new oh, yeah. set of, now they're out. You don't well, have anything to, you And know? to me, I was really protective of that moment that they came out that, um, I wanted that to just be us. That was very, that was sacred. That was, I I would say surgery, like, I mean, I had a C-section. So like, but giving birth, that is more intimate than like somebody watching me have sex. Like that, that sounds terrible. I'm with you on that. I was the same way. Like I just wanted it to be me and Brad in the room like that. Like Scott Scott was lucky he was invited. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I wanted to be on my own. (laughs) But it was like, it was just. I didn't know how I was going to react. I'd never had major surgery. I'd never become a mom. I'd never like worked so hard for something in my entire life. I didn't know how I was going to react. And so I was just like, I just want, I just want to be with myself so I can experience my emotions the way I want to experience my emotions and let things fall the way they need to fall. So this can be like healthy and, um, you don't have to put on a face for anyone there. Yeah, exactly. 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 And so I was pretty adamant about that. And some people didn't understand and that that's fine they don't need to understand (laughs) they haven't been through it so okay so you get your twin babies so we have our babies and and I mean we thought that might have been our only chance because one we're having twins we're like jumping headfirst into parenthood um my husband decided to go back to nursing school when we found out I was pregnant with twins so I was also the sole breadwinner Um, I also was really, really sick when I was pregnant and I was just trying to be the best mom I could be. And honestly, 
feeling like I was failing miserably, but I think every I think new that's mom just like, yeah, I think feels that's like just that. A mom thing. So I was like nursing the babies. I was I was doing everything I could, and it was great. My husband got three months paternity leave, and I was home, and so we we got to just be like a family of four and just spend those first few months together. It was awesome. Oh, so even when we named our kids, like my son has two middle names because we wanted to make sure we got all the family names out there <laughs> because we weren't sure if we were having more. Um, so he has, he has four given names. <laughs> he's older. He's like, mom, why do I have seven names? I have to learn. <laughs> so, um, and then we're just like living life and we realize it's hard to be parents and it's hard to tr- try to find a balance and all of our hobbies and stuff went the by the wayside for sure like even stuff like yard work we're like how do people even do this yeah kids are a huge time suck yeah and we're old <laughs> like w- like we were we were in our routines like we were I was 35 when I had the twins so I'd been in my career for 15 years um it, it was it was a big big transition um and I was nur- I was nursing the babies and I quit nursing and I got pregnant on my own but I didn't know. Oh, okay. I was going to say that must've been like a huge emotional roller coaster. As no. Well. So it was like bad timing. A weird, a weird flu bug was going around. And this, so this is the weirdest thing to me. No, you hear it these is the stories. weirdest freaking thing. I feel like these are the stories you hear though, where people go through like years of infertility. You do all the treatments, you get your babies from whatever treatment ended up working. And then people will get pregnant on their own. I you like these are stories I've heard yeah. so much of it that's like insane to me how well, that works. So and this is like multi-level like there there's there's nothing that points to you should have gotten pregnant. Like my libido completely goes in the toilet when I'm nursing babies. I don't like to be touched, let alone like kissed, let alone doing anything else. And we were completely exhausted like emotionally, mentally, physically. We had two new babies. We we're my husband was in school full time. We had completely opposite shifts. Like he was home with the kids all day, then went to night school and I was working all day and then came home and we're basically like two ships in the night. And so, um, intimacy was like not really existent. (laughs) Are you saying you had a Jesus baby? Yeah. No. (laughs) Like that one quickie. Yeah. So I quit, I quit nursing in like September, October ish. And, um, middle of November, I started getting sick with like flu symptoms and, but the flu had been going around and I start, I seriously was like throwing up all the time. I was, so I finally decided to go to a doctor, but I don't go to my OB. I go, I don't, I don't even think like taking a pregnancy test is not even on the radar. So I I'm trying to get into a general practitioner or a gastroenterologist because I think that I have like stomach cancer. <laughs> We're jumping in with both feet. <laughs> I know. No, that's just like kind it. of, if that tells you like I was really, really sick. So I Googled it and um, I had stomach cancer. But like what's weird is like, okay, most people would be like, are you pregnant? Not even on the radar. So yeah. go to the doctor. They run normal blood panels and I get a call. I'm sitting at my table homesick eating broth and saltines if that and I was working and it was like 5 p.m on a Friday and she calls and she's like I just want to let you know that your uh test came your pregnancy test came back positive and I was like 
uh say what <laughs> so i almost started crying not necessarily again not necessarily tears of joy but like it was like tears of fear because <laughs> we had nine month old twins or 10 and now they were like 11 months old at this point i had no idea how far along i was um Anyway, so we, we call my OB and get on, get on the docket for an appointment. And um, we actually went in on the twins' first birthday and got an ultrasound. And I kid you not, there were two sacks. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so <laughs> one was not viable, and it was a little bit of a blessing. Yeah. But one, he's, he's alive and well and two years old. Oh my goodness. But, He's so cute. <laughs> and not that, not that I wasn't sad about losing the one, but we were not in. Oh, come on. You've done twins before. You can just keep. That would have been like, so our kids are 19 months apart. So that would have been four kids under two. Yeah. That would have been crazy. <laughs> so but we I mean, already I, had to get like a new car. I mean, the thing is, it's, it, that is, it's devastating, but I appreciate your honesty, I think, in it, because I think a lot of the times people can't say those things, you know, on really can't say the truth of how that really would be so difficult. And so it's not that it's an insensitive thing where you're, you know, glad something like that happened. Of course, it's just the mental state you're in. It's exhausting. You already have babies. I mean, yeah, that's no. And I was not, um, I can't say I wouldn't have been grateful or I wouldn't have loved that child. Like that's definitely something I think about quite often, but I also am a realist. Yeah. And I'm not sure we would have survived it. Like it's, it's really hard to have multiples and it's hard to, and people do it. And I'm just like in awe of how people have multiple multiples close together. Yeah. So kudos to them. I'm not sure if I would have been able to do it. I wouldn't have been able to, I can tell you right now. I would not have <laughs> survived that. <laughs> no. I have two kids seven years apart and I'm barely surviving some days. But okay, listen, I mean, really at the end of the day and at the end of this story, you have a success story. Yeah, for you, sure. You know, we're able to get your babies here. And I think, you know, that is really incredible. And so there really are so many different dynamics to infertility. Um, but with your story, Candace, I mean, that's incredible for you. I just met you tonight. I just met her tonight. <laughs> and I, that makes me so happy for you that you got your babies in the end. And it's hard. It's difficult. It's so hard to have little ones all under that age group, you know, for sure. But, um, one other thing we had someone write in about, and I want to, cause we need to finish up here, ask you is, um, what advice would you give anyone that's in the position right now going through the really hard process of trying? So my one piece of advice is like, find your tribe, find your support group, um, whatever that is. So there's tons of resources I wish I would have had the first time around. There's Facebook groups. Um, Utah locally has, uh, what's it called? UIRC. It's called a Utah Infertility Resource Center. And there's a support group online. Join it. You can find out loads of information about options or doctors or clinics or anything. There's also therapists that are on there. And 
Um, the other thing I would recommend is get into therapy, figure out how to process all your emotions. Um, and also, um, I have, a, I have a few pieces of advice. Arm yourself with responses you're comfortable with. So when somebody does blindside you with a question, what I like to call stupid questions, <laughs> um, figure out how you protect yourself from that so it doesn't trigger you. Sometimes I responded with humor, with a little sass, like, I don't know, tell me about your sex life. Did you have sex last night? Um, <laughs> it kind of puts people in their place because yeah. there there are some intimate things that go along with creating a family. Yeah. Um, I don't even think people, when they ask certain questions, really think through what they are asking. Yeah. At all. Yeah. Um, I was asked if I love the child that I conceived naturally more than I love my twins, which oh my goodness. were created via donor egg and IVF. So <laughs> what are people I didn't even know how to respond to that one. I was just like, are you stupid? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I didn't even need sarcasm or sass. I just said, are you stupid? I don't know if I even responded. I'm sure my facial, my body language responded for me. So yeah, arm your arm yourself with responses you feel comfortable with, giving them enough information to either stop the conversation or giving them a hint that you don't want to talk about it or what parameters you will talk about it. And um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go, you're good. So we, I just I pulled up. We had a listener write in. She had a couple questions. Um, how did you make the decision to actually go through with treatments or not go through? Um, so maybe like at what point did you decide, okay, it's time, it's time to do something bigger. But I mean, it's, I guess it depends on the situation. Like you had your blood test and we're like, okay, this is what's going on. You're not going to naturally have a baby. Yeah. So the first, my first experience was kind of going through the motions. This was next step. This is what the option was that was put in front of me. Um, I didn't do a lot of research on my own. I didn't ask the right questions. I didn't get second opinions and I, I should have. Well, that was a, she actually asked, that was her second question. What are some questions you wished you would have asked early on, but either hadn't or didn't ask until later? I wish I would have. Now I'm a lot more savvy. Like I ask doctors to run my blood panel all the time. I want to make sure that I'm healthy um, or at least like in the right range. Um, I wish I would have done more research on clinics. Um, I think being comfortable with your reproductive endocrinologist or RE is critical in your success. Um, somebody that knows what your, what your desired outcomes would be, um, what your motives are, why you're doing it, what your hesitations are, and somebody that's willing to listen to you. I wish I would have gotten therapy way earlier. I wish I would have been able to respond to people in an appropriate manner, not just reactive um, and controlled a little bit more of my behavior and controlled my responses. The second time around, I did tons of research. And so I just, I, I just came more prepared. Okay. So yeah, the advice then I think is just, you said, find that support group for anybody out there listening. That's really going through this and feels either alone or just like in, and we have a lot of listeners from different States and things like that too. So find your local support group, Facebook groups. Um, do we have anything else we want to add? 
Candace um, is looking through. I'm looking them through my notes. <laughs> yeah, she, she really, I mean, thank you for sharing. We'd like to just say thank you because Wit and I, we've had a lot of people want us to do an episode like this, but we just did not know where to come from. So we really appreciate you yeah. being on. So go ahead. What else do so you the, have there? So the last thing is costs can be um, devastating to hear what, what it may or may not cost. And a lot of times when you're starting your family, you're young, you're early on in your careers and hearing that it may cost 20 or $30,000 to get a baby here, something that other people get for free. I mean, babies don't, they're not free once they get here, but to come up with that upfront and have insurance, not cover it. If you, if you know you're diagnosed with something like PCOS or something that, that could cause some, um, fertility, um, hiccups, I would one look for a job that provides fertility treatment, insurance um is that a fairly new thing so usually most utah local companies do not provide it. it's national companies um and that's because other states require it and so if they're based out of another state a lot of times so like i know ebay offers starbucks offers um geez utah get on the map with us get get it that's ridiculous (laughs) so a lot of it's out of pocket the other thing is like being strategic about how you save your money to to do it because it can be it can be a lot. So I, I did write down some things that come up. Um, one thing I wish I would have looked for studies. There's a lot of studies out there that you can see if you qualify for. That was not even on my radar when I was doing it. So that would have been nice to hear. You could do fundraisers. You can ask your family. Um, you might have parents or grandparents that really want to see you be a parent. And it does not hurt to ask for help. Um, because it's, it's, it's definitely a financial burden. Um, you could do a GoFundMe. Sometimes that's not always the best option for some people, but you could definitely do it. I've seen a lot of garage, garage sales be successful. So what? instead of asking people for money, they ask people for um, donations. You basically facilitate the garage sale and then all proceeds go towards your treatments, um, which is a great idea. Um, one thing that we did this time is we did like a medical loan. I, I'm commissionable, so sometimes I'll get lump sums. And so I just, I knew that we'd be able to pay it off fast. So, um, we did like a medical loan, like a short term medical loan, but yeah, that definitely do your research on that stuff. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great list. I have a sister that has struggled with infertility and she used some of the options you're saying now. She actually, um, was able to have her son by doing, um, a fundraiser, a race, um, footsteps for, uh, footsteps, footsteps for, for, fertility. for fertility. Um, she was able to win part of a treatment for IVF. So she was able, they paid for part of her IVF, which was a huge help. Um, and then I think she found a study, um, when she had her, one of her daughters. So, so yeah, those, those options are amazing. And without those, it would have taken them a very long time to save the money to be able to do to go through IVF and for these other treatments. Yep. Yeah. So it's again, but that just comes down to doing your research. What are your options? And that's why those support groups are so critical, especially like even on social media, you can kind of be a silent observer and just listen and watch if you're not quite ready to dive in or talk about it. Um, that's a great place to get more information. Perfect. Thank you, Candace, so much for coming on and talking to us about such a difficult topic. Like this is, a really touchy topic for a lot of people. It is triggering for a lot of people, but we really appreciate your story and, and your outcome and how, how fun that is. Your cute little 
toddlers. <laughs> you have your hands full. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. We really, really appreciate it. Oh, you're yeah, welcome. Candace, thank you. Um, to anyone listening out there, if you have questions on anything that has to do with adoption, anything that has to do with um, the struggles of not having your own children, but maybe taking on someone else's children, please write into us. We are at getrealbnw at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. Real shit with Britain Wit. And until next time, you guys, let's keep it real.